Colossians chapter number one. I invite you to turn in your copy of the New Testament scripture to Colossians chapter number one. When the Apostle Paul was writing to the churches, Paul often began his his letters by declaring his apostleship. That's the case in Colossians 1, verse number 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And then it was common for Paul to describe himself as a servant of the Lord. You might notice in Colossians 1, verse number 7, how he referenced Epaphras as his fellow servant. The, the word there is doulos, meaning slave, in verse 7. One who is a faithful minister of Christ, that's the Greek diakonos, meaning servant. And then in our primary text this morning, beginning at the end of verse number 23, Colossians 1, verse 23, Paul, I, Paul, became a minister, diakonos, a servant. In verse 25, I became a minister, a diakonos, a a servant according to the stewardship from God which was given to me. And then again at the end of this letter, Paul named other faithful fellow servants of, of God. And it's almost as if Paul's activity as a servant eclipsed his authority as an apostle. And this morning I propose to you that each child of God is a minister with a ministry because life is for service. Each of us this morning are ministers with a ministry because life is for service. And that's how I've titled my message this morning, Life is for Service. Let me pause briefly for prayer and then we'll unpack the scripture text together. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you so much for the Spirit's ministry through the words of the music that we've heard this morning. I pray now, Lord, that you would illumine the scripture text to us and that you might convict us and encourage us regarding our service to you. For I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Life is for service. Let me begin reading again at the end of verse 23. Colossians verse 23, at the very end of that verse, Paul says, I became a minister... I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Number one in your notes, if you're following the outline that I prepared, the source of service is from God. Now, the Apostle Paul was educated under the Rabbi Gamaliel and advanced in Judaism beyond many of his contemporaries. His credentials were very impressive. You know that he was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Concerning the law, he was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, he persecuted the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, he was blameless. The Apostle Paul was a religious professional, but one day, on the road to Damascus, Paul was blinded by the majesty of Jesus Christ. His name was changed from Saul to Paul and he he wrote to Timothy telling Timothy that he was now appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. He was thrust into service by God. And while none of us have ever experienced that Damascus Road calling, none of us are apostles this morning, a few of us are are vocationally employed as ministers, but God's Spirit has gifted and enabled each of us to serve for the glory of God and for the good of others. The source of our service is from God. There you see it in verse number 
in verse number uh, 20, 24 and 25. Number two, the stewardship of service is for others. The stewardship of our service is for others. And we understand the concept of, of a steward is to, to care for the possessions and the property of another. And a steward has oversight and responsible, responsibility for others' affairs. And stewardship is not for the well-being of the steward, but it's, it's for others. Verse 24a, if you look there, it says, for you. Verse 25, if you can find it there, Paul says, for you. I became a minister according to the stewardship from God, which was given to me for you, or literally on your behalf, the New American Standard reads. It's not for our promotion. It's not for our attention. It's not for our gain. It's for others. The whole point of stewardship and service is sacrifice for someone else. You say, well, that doesn't sound like fun. True, but Paul wrote to the, to the, uh, to the Colossians here, I rejoice You see it there in verse 24. I rejoice in this, in my sufferings for you. And that's number three. The spirit of service is joy. The spirit of service is joy. How so? Most often, serving is exhausting. And many times, serving is even painful. If you consider your area of Christian service this morning for one another in this place, tell me that it doesn't take a bit of time and effort and blood and sweat and tears. I think of the ladies among us who prepare and provide meals for our functions here. Since Christmas, they have prepared and served six funeral lunches. In one of those cases, feeding 500 Yesterday, feeding 200, even this morning, the students from Maranatha, breakfast, and we're gonna feed them lunch when the service is over. I think of those who help with the the moving parties that we have, loading or unloading trucks as families come and go from, from us. There were a couple of those events recently. I think of those who are caring for our children even this very hour in the church nursery and in our junior church class. I think of every volunteer from our musicians and our teachers. We know who they are. To those who fold the church bulletins and fold the church laundry, we don't know who they are. And you didn't even know we did laundry around here, did you? There's laundry from the nursery, from the the kitchen and such, and my dress shirts, of course. That's not true. That's not true. How about the snow removal? This morning, I got a phone call at 6 o'clock. Ben Colson had already been here for an hour clearing the sidewalks and working on our lot. It's exhausting. And in the midst of our exhaustion... We suffer some loss, some expense, but it also ought to be exhilarating. That's why Paul told the Corinthians, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. So how is it that we can serve with the spirit of of joy? How can we rejoice in our ministry or our service to the Lord among one another? Here is the secret sauce, and you can write this down. It's not a blank to fill in, but you need to write this down. It's a matter of humility. Someone might complain, I I used to serve the Lord, but I got burned once, and now I'm done. Okay, in, in what way were you burned? 
Could it be that you didn't get the attention or appreciation or acknowledgement you thought you deserved? Maybe your program or your idea or your ministry activity did not reward your flesh the way you anticipated. You were hurt and your pride was left hanging. Folks, the spirit of joy in serving Jesus is when we adopt humility. You see, the apostle Paul had been burned. If ever there was a one who was burned in his ministry, it was Paul, but he still rejoiced. Remember that when Paul wrote this letter, where was he? He was in prison while other preachers got the glory. So he wrote to the Philippians, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. He then said, I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and the service of your faith. I rejoice and share my joy with you all. Paul got burned, but he was still joyful. You say, well, Pastor Matt, it's not that I've been burned by others. It's that I'm just, I'm just burned out. I feel that too. After 24 years of pastoral ministry, 14 years here at Fourth Baptist, I'm tired. You're tired. The ladies in the kitchen are tired. Those in the nursery are tired. I don't know if Ben Colson's here, but he was plowing snow since five o'clock this morning. I suspect that he's tired. But what does Paul say to the Corinthians? We do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet our inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working a far more exceedingly and exceeding an eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary. The things that are not seen are eternal. And so folks, your service ought to be a joy. That's the spirit And if ever there comes a time when my ministry becomes a duty or an obligation or a chore, you know what I'll do? I'll go sell cars. You don't think I could sell cars? (laughs) I can sell cars. You want me to show you how I can sell cars? Step right up here, Mr. Jones. Mr. Jones, I've got a car just for you. This car, four wheels, four wheels, and an engine. We have special financing just today. Won't be here tomorrow. Sign right here. See, I can sell a car. Not a problem. The spirit of service should be joy. And as we serve the Lord and minister to one another in this place, we should rejoice even if there's suffering. Number four, the suffering of service is a privilege. It's a privilege. Look at verse 24 again. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now, what what does that mean? I'll tell you here now. This verse has been the source of much controversy over the centuries. Verse 24. The Roman Catholics will cite this verse as an argument for purgatory. Here's the argument. Christ's sufferings, they claim, didn't cut it. Therefore, we must make up the difference by doing some of our own suffering. We must suffer in a place called purgatory. But that is not what Paul is saying. In fact, he just finished verses 20 to 23 by saying that Jesus Christ alone can reconcile us to God. 
There is no penance or suffering that we must endure in this life or in some category called purgatory at all. What I believe Paul is saying is that he endures at the hands of Christ-hating persecutors what they would do to Christ if they could do it to Christ. But Jesus has now ascended up into heaven. Jesus is out of reach of those Christ-hating persecutors. So Paul is their target in the place of Christ. And Paul is a representative of, church, of, of Christ's body, the church. And his, re, his suffering is a privilege. He rejoices in that suffering because it's a privilege. And this was, in fact, the testimony of all the apostles in the book of Acts. They went on their way rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer for his, his name. So why should we suffer, I'm sorry, why should we consider suffering a privilege? I'll give you some subpoints here and some scriptures as well. Suffering proves that we belong to Christ. And just quickly, some scripture texts. Uh, that serve this point. Suffering proves we belong to Christ. Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that he hated me before it hated you, John 15, 18. 2 Timothy three twelve. indeed all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It proves that we belong to Christ. Secondly, letter B, suffering brings future reward. It brings future reward. And I would offer you Romans chapter eight, indeed, if indeed we suffer with Christ in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Romans eight seventeen and 18. Let us see, suffering draws us closer to Christ. Philippians three ten, a favorite scripture of many, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made Conforming or being conformed to his death, Philippians 3.10. And then suffering conforms us to the image of Christ. Romans 18 verses, Romans 8 verse 18 verses 28 and, and 29 there in summary, I consider the sufferings of this present time not worthy to be compared with the glory that is revealed in us. We, we cited that just a moment ago. For whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And this list is in no way exhaustive, but it helps us to understand that Paul's rejoicing in his suffering was because it was a privilege. Number five, the scope of service is limited. And now in these next few verses, Paul will explain how that his ministry or his service was bound or limited to the fulfillment of, of these three things. First, it was, it was limited to God's word. God's word. Look at verse 25. The stewardship from God, that's the source, which was given to me for you, services for others, to fulfill the word of God, the mystery which has been hidden from ages, from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. The, the word of God is the revelation that God has given us in the pages of scripture in the person of Jesus Christ. And when you do your service to the Lord, when you do your Christian ministry, whether it's preaching or teaching or sharing or small group studies or counseling or outreach, whatever the case, be careful to be anchored to the word of God, to observe all that God has commanded us. There are many organizations and many activities that operate under the name of ministry, 
but God's word is absent from them. And so the scope of service for Paul was limited to to God's word. It was also limited to God's will. Limited to God's will in verse 27. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of the mystery. The second time now this mystery is named, verse 26, also in verse 27, among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of of glory. God's will is the proclamation of the mystery. I'll, I'll speak of that in just a moment. Number three, or letter C, limited to God's way. God's way in verse 28. What is God's way of ministry? It's the foolishness of preaching, and the subject of that preaching ought to be him. It ought to be him. Now, I've intentionally described this ministry as limiting because there are a lot of good causes for which you can serve. There are a lot of, many, many organizations that are are looking for volunteers, and by all means, participate in those things as you have opportunity. But Christian ministry or Christian service to the Lord must be recognized as such. It's Christian, meaning it's about Jesus Christ and the gospel. It's not about social or cultural or political reformation, you see. And so if there is a cause for which you can serve, it is the cause of of Jesus Christ. Specifically, the subject of service is the ministry, and I've got a typo there on the screen. It It should say, is the mystery. I think I have it in your notes. It's wrong on the screen. The subject of service is the mystery, number six. The mystery in verses 26 and 27 is not a a Sherlock Holmes story where deductive reasoning can solve the riddle. In the scriptures, the mystery is something that was once hidden but is now revealed or made known. And Colossians 1 verse 27 defines the mystery for us. There it is Christ in you. You see, the Old Testament saints had no concept of a Messiah living within his church. The Old Testament saints had no concept of of, of a church being made up of Gentiles. That is the mystery, the body of Christ, the visible in the the New Testament local church like ours. It's the, the mystery And there are many different kinds of church ministries through which we can serve, and that's fine. We have a radio station, we have a seminary, we have a day school and and such. But the subject of our ministry, the subject of our service ought to be the mystery. The mystery is Jesus Christ dwelling within us. That is the hope of glory. Think about this with me for, for a moment. The reason that we would invite people to attend our church meeting this morning is not because we have guest musicians, but it's so that they might witness the mystery. Think about this now. You invite someone, an unbeliever, a neighbor, a friend, a coworker, to come to church. They don't come here to worship God because they don't worship God, and they can't worship God. We don't invite the lost in our community to come to to the Sunday morning service to get close to God or even necessarily to hear the gospel from, from the pulpit every Sunday morning, but we might invite them to come be among us to witness 
the mystery. And so they come through our doors and they come through the foyer and they they come into the space where, where we are all gathered together. They see those who know Jesus Christ as their personal savior and friend dwelling within them in the person of the Holy Spirit. And the unbeliever is compelled to ask, what am I witnessing? What is happening here? Who are these people? Why do you do what you do? You carry a Bible and you, you sing songs and, and you give your money? That's a scam, right? What is with these people? What is happening here? And then we can explain the mystery. It is Christ in us. It is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, our hope of eternal life. It makes us different, you see. That's why we might invite them because the subject of this service is the mystery. The subject of our service and our ministry is the mystery. Number seven, the success of service is then maturity. So how do we evaluate the success of of what we're doing by by temporal standards perhaps, by numeric participation or by positive feedback from, from those involved? We evaluate our ministry, our service by verse 28. Him we preach, warning every man, teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. The purpose statement there, you see, to present every man perfect. That's mature completes in Christ. And, and, and Paul explains to us how th- this is done. He, he says that he preaches or he proclaims a warning to everybody. The, the word preach there in verse 28, it simply means to declare a truth. It, it doesn't mean it has to happen from this pulpit. Okay, it can happen in an elementary Sunday school class. The word warning in verse 28 or admonishing in the New American Standard, it's the Greek nuthateo, it describes counseling against sin or wrong behavior. And Paul told the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, night and day for three years I did not cease to admonish everyone with tears. The the nuthateo, the, the, the biblical counseling we might call it. Regarding an erring brother in 2 Thessalonians 3, We're called to admonish him. Same word. Colossians 3.16 commands us to admonish one another. Romans says the same thing. And so where we are preaching or admonishing or warning in the negative sense, then there is the word teaching here. You see, teaching every man in all wisdom, it's it's a positive. And it, it really represents the other side of that coin. Teaching is the imparting of truth for the benefit of the believers. And both of these things are done in wisdom and practical discernment for the purpose of maturity or perfection or completeness. That's the success of, of what, we, what we do. And when we ra- rally together as servants of the Lord in this place, we are, we are laboring for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, Ephesians chapter four. And that includes every aspect of our ministry, our service, the maintenance of our building, the function of our offices with the staff, those who provide security or care for our children or feed us from the kitchen, amen, right? All of these things are coordinated. The goal is maturity. And then 
Finally, verse 29, we're nearly done. To this end, for this purpose, for this goal, I labor, I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. Folks, number eight, the strength for service is supernatural. Ministry is hard work, and I commend you, many of you work hard in this place, but where can we find the strength to keep going? We find it in Christ, in his working through us. It was Hudson Taylor, the the founder of the China Inland Mission, who knew the secret of strength through his weakness, and He was complimented once by a friend on the impact of the China Inland Mission, and here's what Hudson Taylor said. He said, it seemed to me that God looked over the whole world to find a man who was weak enough to do his work. And when he at last found me, God said, he's weak enough, he'll do. All God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on his being with them. Folks, we know of Moses. Remember Moses? He couldn't speak very well. We know of Gideon. Remember Gideon? He wasn't a mighty man of valor. David. David was just a kid, just a shepherd boy. Peter always had his foot in his mouth. And then there was Paul a thorn in the flesh. But he said, in my weakness, then am I strong. If you read through the pages of the New Testament and the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote, he identified himself as an apostle, but he described himself as a servant of the Lord. And I submit to you this morning that life is for service. Each one of us has a ministry and is a minister We serve the Lord Christ. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you so much for using the weak of the world, for finding each one of us as different members of the body to somehow, in some way, to some degree, serve you among the others. I pray, God, that you would energize us and enable us and equip us and empower us by your Spirit to serve you in word and deed for your glory, for your honor. Lord, may we be vessels that are fit for the master's use, prepared unto every good work. And Lord, I pray that at the end of the day, when all is said and done, you'll receive the glory. For I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.